Bonzilla presents Die Hard. This week, John McClane finds himself stuck in an airport with a bunch of bad guys. It's time to die harder with 1990's Die Hard 2. Hi, everybody. It's time for another Bonzilla Presents. I'm Nick. I'm Will. And we're back once again on the mics talking about our favorite Bruce Willis franchise, Die Hard. Yeah. What other, what other, favorite what other, franchise? what other franchises does Bruce Willis have? I guess I that's the question. Has, I don't think he's like a big, like, he doesn't have, like, he gets, he gets, he gets inserted into franchises, but he doesn't have, like, he's in G.I. Joe, obviously. Yeah. He is the original <laughs> Joe. His, his cholesterol was a little high. Yeah. Um, he was in the third Rugrats movie, so he's in that okay. franchise. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I think this is the Bruce Willis franchise, as I, far as I can tell. Like, he wasn't... Bruce Willis was in Over the Hedge? Yeah. That, there was that, that brief voiceover stint he was doing. Yeah. He was in Friends. He was in Friends. Here, I'm looking up his filmography. He was a... He was a voice in the Orville. <laughs> he gets yeah, he was in Lego Movie Two. Yeah, that's true. As John McClane. Right, yeah, that was a low cameo. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that. Um, that's a funny cameo. Yeah, yeah. Um, Sin City. He's in that. Yeah, yeah. So like a lot of like bits and pieces and franchises and like series, but this is really his. This is his franchise. Oh, this is the, the the Expendables. Yes, but yes, I would say the Expendables. But also, again, that's the whole thing is it's a bunch of people from different franchises coming together to make uh, a franchise. Franchise Red. He's in Red. Red one and two. Yeah, and two. Yeah. Um, and uh, oh, yeah, uh, this isn't a franchise, but I just saw it. Like, you know, it's a good movie. Looper. Looper's a good movie. Oh, I know another franchise he's in. He's in the Glass Trilogy. Oh, yeah, the Glass Trilogy. Well, what are your thoughts on Glass? What are, what are your th- <laughs> in, inside jokes, best for the podcast. Yeah, of course. What's your opinion I, on Glass? I've thought about doing that trilogy for this podcast before. That would it's be a th- good. Oh my god, that would be great for that me. That would be a that I would be a those movies. I would be a fun three movies to talk well, about. Especially because like Unbreakable is litter is excellent. It's a, yes. it's a great movie, and Bruce Willis is pretty good in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and Split is Split is a solid movie. Like I like Split, and then Glass is. I mean, I like Glass. Yeah, I don't know if it touches the other two, but like it's fun. But bringing it back around, that is a movie that when you watch it, Bruce Willis looks like he actually wants to be there. I don't think I don't know if they give him enough to do, but it's kind of like you know, there's like the level of i think kevin smith always said it he's like there's like that level of movies he doesn't want to be there and and the movies that he does mm-hmm. like looper is one of those movies because he's yes. good in looper oh he's really good in looper really that's... Good. i actually just ordered a copy of that of that last night like, oh nice yeah because i don't 
own it and you know it kind of like gets a little wonky for me in the second half but it's like still like a really good movie yeah no i think uh, we've talked about it before when we talked about ryan johnson but yeah that the first half of that movie is like incredible and i like the second half of that movie more than other people but i also have less than my thoughts in it since like we first saw it in theaters yeah yeah i mean it's uh, overall just solid work yeah, yeah that, and, it, and it's super fun movie yeah that's a that's a good that's a good bruce willis movie yeah mm-hmm. yeah well speaking of another bruce willis movie uh we we're gonna this one we're gonna die harder today with a die hard two i went into it not remembering like this did it have a subtitle and then i was like oh no that's just the the tagline yeah it's kind of a weird thing it's one of those weird things i was just talking to my girlfriend about this because she was asking what we were recording today and i was talking about how it's like die hard it's technically die hard too but like you will see it as with the whole subtitle of die harder like i think like my blu-ray has die harder on it but like under like imdb and wikipedia it's just die hard too and like the original the 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 title in the movie is die hard too so it's kind of a weird thing where I think they just sort of embrace it to be like, hey, it has like a subtitle, especially since all the other ones have like unique titles after this. So I think sometimes they like push the Die Harder title on it. Sometimes there's just like it's Die Hard too. So but we are going to Die Harder today with the second of the Die Hard films from 1990. Uh, so this was the last Die Hard movie released before I was born. And how does that make you feel? Old. Anyways. <laughs> Um, I actually was feeling old recently, but apparently yeah. a lot of people have been meeting me recently. Think I'm like in my late twenties. Well, that's good. I'm glad. So I'm just going to up my facial skincare regimen so I can get like another like year or two out of my baby face. Yeah, yeah. sounds like a plan. <laughs> you can imagine if this was a video podcast. Like, yeah, Godzilla. I'm just. It's also just. Just on, like a face mask. <laughs> yeah. No, no, keep going, keep going. We'll talk about we'll talk about Bruce Willis in a second. Sorry, I just gotta get gotta get this got this on my my forehead. All right, so 1990. Right. So we're we're leading in right. We we had our last Die Hard film, um, the uh, 1988, right? And it was a, a decent success for Fox. Uh, you know, essentially sort of making Bruce Willis a movie star, and and Fox was interested in doing more. Fox was interested in doing. Uh, a second film in in this franchise and, and kind of making it, you know, a big part of their 80s. Fox had a, a really major 80s. Uh, you know, they were one of the bigger studios around at the time and they had a lot of franchises going and they felt like, hey, this was another one just to add to the money train, essentially. Um, so John McTiernan, who directed Die Hard 1, was not able to return um, because he had already committed to doing The Hunt for Red October, which would release in this same year, which is also a good movie that you people should see. Uh, so Fox were discussing their options. And apparently um, their number one choice was to do what they did with Aliens and bring in James Cameron to to write and direct and kind of take lead on doing a diehard sequel. And allegedly there were negotiations with James Cameron and his team to come in and do an original story uh, with John McClane. Um, but Cameron had been sort of burnt out a little bit from doing other people's franchises and sort of the caveats that he had to acquiesce to and working with Fox creatives on that sense. 
And though there were discussions about him doing Die Hard, Cameron decided that he would rather do a film that he had more total control over, which eventually became Terminator 2, which would release the next year. Uh, so with that out of the way, Cameron was, uh, was not going to do the film. Fox discussed their options and decided to take uh, their second choice, which was one Remy Harlan, who is a, in our personal discussions, a familiar name, uh, as Remy Harlan is, of course, uh, and the reason he was chosen for this movie was off of his work of Nightmare on Elm Street 4, um, which, if you remember his interview in the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street uh, uh, documentary, uh, he has very specific uh, thoughts and memories of, of filming uh, some of the more intense sequences of that movie. He is a character, but I mean, and only because you brought it up, it's, I have to take every opportunity to push that documentary. Yeah. Never Sleep Again. One of the best documentaries about movies ever. Like, if you, like, well, you walk out of that one um, and you know everything about the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. So yes. good. Yeah. But to, to Nick's point, yes, you watch that and this guy is is a character. Like, yeah. Like he's like Yeah, Finnish director, very notable like name in Finnish directing history, would go on to continue. Because you're, uh, you're talking about like when he's yeah, like, yeah, with we, the lady in the room. Right, yeah. No, we can talk we can talk about yeah. the story. So. so he he has like this story where the context in the movie is that like I, it's like Freddy's like origin and like the whole thing is like, oh, like you know, he was born because, like, um, his, um, you know, his his mom was like locked in a, like, in a room, like, in an insane asylum, and it was like a room filled with like a thousand madmen, and then they all like, you know, violated her, and then that's how he was born, and that's why he's crazy and evil. And then, but in the scene when they filmed it, like, it's like all these like extras who are like acting like madmen, and then they have this one poor actress in like the middle of it, and then it's like. And he just kind of goes on like, yeah, it's like, and then it's like, she got, it was like, she got really uncomfortable and it was like really weird. And she was like, yeah, and like, that's what we want. <laughs> it's just very sus. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's that's interesting. the kind of guy this is. <laughs> right. Cause Harlan, one of uh, looking at his career is he's a very, he's still working. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was one of those things where the reason that Harlan was actually chosen for this was Harlan was in initial discussions to do Alien 3 at this at this point, we're like right after Aliens. And obviously we know kind of Alien 3 has its whole wild production of like ups and downs. But Fox was already kind of no, noting, knowing this guy kind of liked his enthusiasm, so to speak, and, and sort of offered him Die Hard 2 uh, in this role. And he would go on to do stuff like Cliffhanger and Long Kiss Goodnight and Deep Blue Sea. Like he has a lot of stuff in this, in this, uh, in his history um also directed one of the most notable flops of all time cutthroat island which destroyed the pirate genre until pirates came out uh so there's that too um but once remy uh rennie comes on board him and fox are discussing and and remy kind of knows hey he knows die hard he knows about this production fox are kind of discussing and they're discussing well the first die hard was not technically an original story it's based off a book that was a sequel to another movie yada 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 so why don't we just do the same thing why don't we just find another book and turn it into a diehard production uh so eventually they decide on the book uh 58 minutes um by walter wagner which had been released uh in 1987 
And the the book essentially has the plot of the movie. It's a police officer at an airport that's taken over by terrorists uh, who has to like basically make sure that he can save the day and also get these planes to land. The difference between the novel and the movie, the, the major difference is that the plane that he's most caring for is the plane with his daughter on it, whereas with the movie, they decide to use the relationship between John McClane and his wife, Holly, to kind of create that tension uh, instead. Um, and with, uh, with obviously no Cameron on board, Remy, Rennie's not going to do any writing directing. Uh, they hire uh, 80s screenwriting star Stephen E. D'Souza, uh, who had had a really big run of uh, successful films in the 1980s. He was essentially as close to sort of a hotshot screenwriter at that time as, you know, you could get. He had written the 48 hours he had written commando for schwarzenegger and running man for schwarzenegger um he had also uh done some uh re-scripting for the original die hard as well um so he was returned has to return to die hard to uh adapt this novel and make it work within the context of die hard one and in this world uh d'souza did say he had fun kind of you know making some changes and, and, and doing the things and, and kind of a little bit more now with the character that Bruce Willis had sort of created with Die Hard and, and more one-liners and sort of that personality, he felt that he was able to kind of bring that as well. Um, and then uh, D'Souza also hides an Easter egg for himself in the movie. Uh, there is a general that is a uh, foreign general that is a, you know, disposed dictator that is the central part of this plot. Uh, the dictator is uh, from the same fictional country uh, that is featured heavily in Commando. Uh, so D'Souza kind of put that in as a, a little Easter egg uh, for himself. Um, so the original film, you know, they had a budget of $40 million. Um, and one of the stories about this film's production was that the budget kept ballooning to somewhere around $70 million. Um, and especially Bruce Willis himself uh, was now a huge star and demanded a big payday and got a seven and a half million dollar payday, which was much larger than his one uh, originally for Die Hard 1. Uh, there was a lot of discussions among the Fox executives about producer Joel Silver's current spending habits, as he was noted as someone who like keep giving money to these productions. Uh, and Silver would eventually sort of lose his position at Fox. Uh, even though this movie, spoiler, ended up being very successful, Fox felt that Silver was being a lot hard and loose with the money, uh, fast and loose with the money, I should say, with this film. And eventually Silver would uh, make his way over the Warner Brothers uh, in the forthcoming years, which actually does relate to something we'll talk about in our next Die Hard movie. Um, the main thing about filming this movie, actually, was... Um, how difficult it was to find a location to film the airport stuff because obviously the movie takes place in a huge airport setting um and the the airport stuff was very distinct because again the movie is going to take place on christmas eve yet again and they needed snow and it was going to be in washington dc so they wanted to film at the actual washington uh, airport they couldn't get the opportunity to so they were going to film most of it at the denver airport but when they were filming at the denver airport it was, again, one of those situations, warmest winter on record. 
Um, so there wasn't really that much snow for them to use and they brought in fake snow, but it didn't always look good. So they had to kind of find a last minute, like where is a place where it's definitely going to snow. They found some smaller airports in Wisconsin and Michigan that they filmed at. And uh, Rennie Harblin had said that this was amongst the most difficult film shoots because of just how cold it ended up getting in Michigan and Wisconsin that it wasn't cold enough in Denver, but it was too cold in those other places. And he joked that like, even as a finished person, I should be used to this, but um, it was still like a miserable experience. Mm-hmm. I also should mention, of course, I kind of, usually I go along with the cast. We do have a good amount of the original cast from Die Hard one returning, of course, McLean as being um, once again, portrayed by Bruce Willis, who, whose star has astronomically risen, as I've mentioned, from that first Die Hard movie. Uh, you know, he's finishing up, he finished up his uh, obligations to Moonlighting and has fully committed himself to being a movie star. He is now one of the more popular actors on the planet, becoming that rising name. And again, he's demanded the big money deal. And one of the things that other, as well, is afforded to him in this movie is with Die Hard 1, he really helped create the John McClane character through a lot of his one-liners and his improvisation uh, and, and working with the director on set to kind of come up with these lines. And Fox and Remy were very happy to tell Bruce, like, improvise as much as you want. We're going to work and make this, you know, another great experience for you. So Bruce Willis, and this is the beginning of his real you know, hands on the diehard franchise and Bruce going forward is going to be a very key player in how these films progress and the types of movies that they're making within the diehard films that he really is someone who for all intents and person is, is a kind of passionate about like having his hands on this character, um, especially at this point when he's kind of still kind of rising up the ranks. Uh, Bonnie Badilla comes back as Holly Gennaro McLean. We also have a brief appearance from Reginald Bell Johnson as Sergeant Al Powell and uh, the return of William Atherton as that asshole reporter, Dick Thornburg. Um, our villain. He was the one, was the one cause I, I have seen this movie. Yeah. And then going back, they were like, I was a little spotty on some details. And I'm like, they brought that guy back. <laughs> yeah. Cause it took me a minute. Like when he showed up, I was like, who that guy again? I was like, Oh, fuck that guy. Yeah. Um, I also will say before we get into it, I was very, I, I had a lot of things I thought about this movie that actually were not true. So I'm very interested to kind of get into to that part. Um, our main villain in this movie is Colonel William Stewart, who is played by actor William Sadler, uh, who had been uh, known for kind of some of these kind of hard, harder ass roles. Like this is kind of his first time really as like an action um villain um but he would definitely kind of be known for playing these kind of like assholes you know villainous type characters throughout his career um it was uh rennie harlan's idea fully on the way that the character is introduced uh being shirtless uh doing like kind of stretching and exercises in front of a television um, which were definitely required um, Sadler to make sure he was in really good shape uh, for that, for that part. Um, and, and cause Rennie said it would just be some, he, Remy literally said like, it would just be a weird and different way of introducing a character to an audience. It's just watching them shirtless, like stretching in front of a television set. Like, and that, I mean, we talked about that's Rennie to an extent, like he's definitely kind of a character and he, and he has very d- d- distinct opinions. 
Um, and Sadler did a lot of uh, Taekwondo training specifically for that last little fight at the end of the movie. We also uh, have Franco Nero, legendary Italian actor and director as a general Raymond Esperanza. Again, the kind of general death dictator as character that is a central figure in the movie. Um, his casting was literally because Joel Silver was in his accountant's office and saw that he had like posters of uh, Nero's Italian work, specifically uh, Django, um, the, the original Italian production, and thought that he would make a great, great villain character for his movie. And Nero was not interested at all. He thought that the script was bad. He didn't want to kind of do this American action movie. He already was committed to uh, an Italian film, Breath of Life, that he really wanted to be in. Uh, but Silver essentially, and this is where we kind of go back to Silver's spending of money, promised him that he could, you know, work to work on both movies, that he would whatever his schedule needed to be, and shot a lot of money at him. And Nero was like, all right, well, if I'm going to make, if I'm going to do this, I might as well make money. So um, we'll do that. Um, I also like, uh, this is one of those movies where, like, again, when you kind of think about, who you see in the movie right because we also have uh dennis franz as the police captain and it's just sort of like yeah this is like i guess right before he would have been doing nypd blue and he was just kind of like a guy who was just being known for playing a cop for his entire career right. um and and this is essentially what it is and also one of the um one of the all uh the 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 henchmen so to speak is robert patrick who again would would see yes. his yeah, would, I did notice that. Who would see his star come to rise the next year when he plays the T-1000 in uh, Terminator 2. He's There's, one of those, he, I mean, obviously he's the T-1000, right? But it's yeah. like, he's just one of those, like, don't you just always love when he shows up? And yeah, like, right. And that, and, and that he's, like, still in things? Like, it's... Yeah, oh, for sure. I, I just always smile. It's just, it's just his, his very specific, like his very specific look, especially like his ears. Like it's just, it's just it's a very specific look of things. One of my favorite uh, Wayne's World jokes. Oh, no, uh, clearly one of the best jokes in that movie. <laughs> um, there's also a very piece of periodist by uh, John uh, Leguizamo. I, I John butchered. Leguizamo. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and allegedly. Also, like really, like, because you see his face and you're like, is that John Leguizamo? So the story about him, uh, he talked about this movie years later being in it. And he said that he was supposed to have like a more sizable role, like with more lines, but then he was cast. And when they got the set, uh, everybody realized that he was so much shorter than all the other hench people uh, and all the other like people he'd be around. So he said that his role was significantly cut down to one line that ended up being dubbed over. Uh, and like his like larger role was given to other members of the cast instead. Um, so that was like his experience on the movie. Uh, John Amos is major grant. Another one of those guys that like, I always see in movies and I'm like, Oh yeah, it's that guy. You know, yeah, he, yeah. He's, he's, this movie is filled with a lot of people like that. It's like, Oh yeah. yeah. Like you, you've seen them in things before. Yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely in that sort of realm. Um, even the like air traffic control guy, um, who's played by Fred Thompson, uh -huh. um, was an actual politician, but you've kind of like, uh, he was an actual politician that tended to kind of do movies on the side, which is always a fun thing for a politician to do. Um, it's just be like, yeah, I'm just going to be in movies. That's fine. Like there's that one guy that is in like the, like the 
Dark Knight that's also like that too. That he's just like he's just a senator that just like likes right. to be in Bat- that Batman movies. He's yeah. just like yeah, I'm just doing Batman movies on the side. Yeah. Um, one other note that I thought was really funny uh, about the making of this movie is um, at one point, right? There is a whole scenario where the the plane has to play like TV to kind of keep the passengers calm. And Fox was pretty insistent on like, yeah, well, we just have this new show called The Simpsons that debuted not too long ago. Uh, so put that in there. Kind of like kind of a little bit of the whole like, yeah, like, you know, it's part of the Fox family. We're all part of the Fox family. So, yeah, put The Simpsons in there, which, again, it's just kind of funny that, like, again, The Simpsons is now a powerhouse sort of franchise type thing. It's, it's like an IP. But back then it was just like, yeah, we have this new show on Fox. It's, it, it kind of is doing pretty well for us. So let's put it in the movie. Let's uh, let's give it a little bit of a boost here. A little bit of a cameo. A little bit of a boost. Because <laughs> that would have been that would have been like like early like season one or two or something to that yeah, degree. Yeah, like yeah. it would have been it would have been very early in the show's run. Yeah, it, it it is funny and like this is a tangent, but it is kind of interesting how The Simpsons being like the animated sitcom did kind of have like a hold on America. Yes. In that way. Yeah, especially again Fox. I mean Fox would 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 be the the, the leader of that, but you kind of saw around this time. And this is again a big tangent, but you saw around this time that like after the success of The Simpsons, you know, and obviously Fox would later have King of the Hill in that rotation as well um, later in the in the 90s. Um, but, you know, you, you would see CBS and ABC try their hands that like, you know, originally the critic was like an ABC show and you had like the amazing stories with uh, with Steven Spielberg and like all that sort of stuff, like animated anthologies, like all the other networks were trying, like after the Simpsons, like, Hey, the animated sitcom like is back and let's give it a whirl in primetime, you know? Yep. But the nineties in general itself was like a whole, again, the whole story of animation in the nineties and, and the, 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 the revival, even of the Saturday morning cartoon, which was at kind of a, a weird place in the post sort of like peak Hanna-Barbera era until like DuckTales and, and every, all that stuff comes along too. So it's a whole other era, but it, it's just in the sense, it's just, again, when you reflect on these movies, you're like, yeah, this would have been like right at the beginning of the Simpsons. And like over 30 years later, like that show is yeah. not going to die anytime soon and, until at, at some point, like there's going to be a thing where it's like, oh, yeah, the Simpsons is ending. And it's really going to be like, wow, that's going to be weird. Yeah, it, it's 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 bizarre. It's yeah. bizarre, but awesome. yeah. Uh, and one other Fun fact about the movie, uh, Die Hard 2 is somehow the first film that uh, used digital uh, digital composition to put a live action footage among a matte, a matte painting. Because uh, normally matte paintings, you use the matte painting and then you film stuff in front of the glass or whatever to like make it work. But this was the first time that they used the matte painting and digitally put it in the shot. Uh, and that's for the, la- the very last shot of the movie um, they, they did that for. So... Again, just sort of a weird sort of like, of course, Die Hard 2 is somehow the first one to do it. You would you would not think that. Um, but yeah, no, there it is. Um, but uh, Fox was very eager to continue with Bruce Willis. They thought they had kind of found a, a big star and uh, they, they they it was a heavy marketing campaign. They pushed the trailer out around Christmas uh, 1989 um, and basically had it for a summer release of 1990 um, and, and kind of even started pushing the film back and forth just to make sure that the film was at uh, its peak, uh, you know, and be finished and they wanted it to be good. And eventually gave it a big July 4th holiday weekend um, release. 
And that's pretty much it. The, 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 again, the Die Hard 2 is one of those movies where it's just like we wanted to make a sequel and uh, they made a sequel. Um, that's, that's, that's legitimately uh, it in terms of the production of this movie. And we are here to talk about it. All right, let's do it. Captain Lorenzo? Yeah. John McClane. Yeah, yeah, I know who you are. You're the asshole that just broke seven FAA and five District of Columbia regulations running around my airport with a gun shooting at people. What do you call that shit? Self-defense. Oh, what, you think that L.A. badge is going to get you a free lunch or something around here? No. Maybe a little professional courtesy. <laughs> In an airport on Christmas week. You gotta be kidding. Okay, fuck courtesy. How about just being professional? Your boys just walked away from a crime scene, Captain. You can't wrap this thing up in 10 minutes and you know it. You gotta seal the area off, take pictures, hey, dust hey, for prints. Don't lecture me, hotshot. I know what I'm doing. We're gonna dust it down, we'll take all the pictures, we'll uh, sweep for fibers. Don't do this. After three or four hundred other more people go through there, Christ, you'd be lucky to get a print from one of your own people. Just shut down that area and send oh, your people just in. shut the area down. It's that simple. I'll just shut the area down. Yeah. And I got everybody from the Shriners Convention to the goddamn Boy Scouts traipsing through here. I got lost kids, lost dogs, not now, later. I got international diplomats. I got a fucking reindeer flying in here from the fucking petting zoo. But John McClane, he's got a little problem. Hell, let's shut down the whole fucking airport. Now, what do you think they're going to say upstairs when I tell them that? Why don't you pick up the phone and find out? Because I don't need full fucking forensics to tell me all this was was some punk stealing luggage. Luggage? That punk pulled a Glock 7 on me. You know what that is? It's a porcelain gun made in Germany. Doesn't show up on your airport x-ray machines here, and it costs more than you make in a month. You'd be surprised what I make in a month. It's more than $1.98, I'd be hey, very Hey, McLean, don't start believing your own press, huh? Yeah, yeah, I know all about you and that Nakatomi thing in L.A. But just because the TV thinks you're hot shit, that don't make it so. Look, you are in my little pond now, and I am the big fish that runs it. <laughs> so you cap some lowlife, fine. I'll send your fucking captain in L.A. a fucking commendation. Now, in the meantime, you get the hell out of my office before I have you thrown out of my goddamn airport. Carmine, let me ask you something. What sets off the metal detectors first? The lead in your ass or the shit in your brains? All right, we're back, ready to discuss uh, the second film in the Die Hard franchise. And this is the one, it's interesting that we, when we talk about it, like we kind of talked about it a little bit um, in sort of our pre-production stuff, but like, it's funny that I think this is the one diehard film that like I know the least just because it is almost kind of the least interesting just from a, a, a looking at the franchise point because it really is like, okay, it's sort of like we're bringing all the characters back and it's, it's I mean, it, it's summed up in the movie very much by the line, how does the same thing happen to the same guy twice, right? Like that's, that's sort true. of the, that's sort of the, 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 the whole gist of it. And it's like, because even like, Obviously, like we know, we're going to talk about it like Die Hard with a vengeance has its own unique things. And, and it's generally, you know, become regarded as one of the better sequels. Right. Like Die Hard 4, like I haven't seen in such a long time, but has like the, the computer hacking thing. And obviously, like we have very vivid memories 
of uh, good data on iHeart, which we'll talk about. But this is the one that, like, I just like, I think even within the annals of Die Hard, and when we discuss and talk about it as a franchise, it always gets, you know, it's just never talked about. And, right. and probably for really good reasons. But this is one of those ones where it's just like, I really had very different thoughts about what this movie was than what appeared to me on screen, uh, which is just interesting. I, I had a few different like story beats that I thought were there that were kind of like Mandela affected into my mind where I just thought like that. I just thought that this was what the movie was and it wasn't like, and I had seen this movie before and my thoughts about this movie in general, before going into this, well, it's like, it's just die hard, but worse. And my thoughts coming out of it is like, yes, it's die hard, but worse, but also not as bad as I remembered it. Yeah. I think for me, it's mostly, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't say it's die hard, but worse as more as it's, it's like, it's just die hard, but just not as good. That's exactly, okay, that's exactly the term I, I was talking to my girlfriend when she thought my thoughts did. That's exactly what I said. It's like, I, my, I've gone from die hard, but worse, but it's die hard, but not as good. But right. still, still entertaining. I was no, still entertained. Yeah, be, be, because this one felt like, this is like, it just goes to show like how good die hard is. Because die hard has such a, like all the elements just sing but it stands out as kind of unique. There's like a wry sense of humor to it. There's a there's a clever kind of tongue-in-cheek nature to it. And this one kind of is just standard action movie. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's just Die Hard without any of the personality. Now, right, because it's, it's, yeah, it's like Die Hard, but like the villains are not as unique or interesting. And there's kind of a more traditional like ticking time bomb which is still they use a great effect but like it's still kind of like more traditional and there's more like betrayals which is kind of more you know it's just like a lot of this stuff that you would normally see in other action movies around this time yeah and then the other thing too what i will say about all of that the thing that does make it really like that kind of saves it is bruce willis a hundred percent he is still on board he still is like it's early bruce willis he's still very charming easy to watch uh gives his all like this is a movie where you can tell like he's still kind of very much there and wants to be there and and gives it enough juice to be like he's the type of guy where it's like you can see why he's becoming a star at this point because he is someone who's just like you want to watch and 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 root for and like it's still interesting that this is still like that really young you know, fresh faced version of the McLean character where yes, like it still is the guy who knows what's going on, has more world and, ha- and still has to battle all the people that like doubt him. But like, there's still like enough of that juice there when he is trying to convince people that like, Hey, this is what's going on. Hey, you need to get me in on this more. But like, he is like the guy, he is really the guy who's going to do anything it takes to, to, to save the day, to be the good guy. Like, even if it's just the the weirdest, like, worst possible thing he can do, he's going to make it work, even if it's impossible. And you see that a number of times in this movie, and I think that that's what makes that character endearing at this point. Yeah, what I liked about the movie a lot, actually, was how active and proactive uh, John McClane is in the story, whereas, like, Die Hard is a lot about, like, the situation happening to him and like, you know, he's one step behind, but he's John McClane. So he's always going to be able to like, you know, uh, get a good footing or not. And, you know, that's the thing about John McClane. Whereas this one, it was kind of, it was kind of interesting seeing him be the cop that you've heard about. Yeah. Oh, for sure. 
Yeah, like he's like, oh, like just like little things like, you know, he catches on to like what's happening before anybody else does. Mm-hmm. Um, so and, and there was there was something interesting about that. And I like that. It does kind of make it interesting to see like where the movies take him because they kind of do go back to, you know, without getting too far ahead. They kind of then go back to like the rough and tumble deadbeat like later. So, like, you know, they are definitely playing, like, it's not completely out of character, but Willis is definitely playing, like, a more kind of, I guess, likable John McClane. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, no, one of the things, especially, like, again, when I say, like, there were things that I definitely thought about this movie that, for some reason, like, I had thought and then, like, had been wrong about. Like, one of the things I actually did appreciate was, like, I know because, again, going to the next one, right, we get we do eventually go back to like him and his wife have marital problems. That's like, you know, ends up being a big thing that that affects the rest of the films going forward. I always thought that this one they were like, oh, they're back to being kind of weird. But like, I forgot that, like, hey, he's technically in the LAPD now. He's moved to L.A. with his wife and he and his wife are on very good terms. And I think that that's at least there's that where you're like, hey, it's like the first Die Hard and them getting back together is like not totally sort of wasted on you know because that that's an easy thing to do right. especially with sequels is like oh well we need them to be like we need to get them back together again or like oh well we can't get the person in so they're they're not together anymore so at the very least i was like hey you know he still very much cares and focuses on his wife and is focused on like hey i, I need to save this not just to save people but my i need to get my wife's plane down you know that sort of thing and i think that's a nice little addition to sort of again the ticking time bomb of these planes up in the air it's just like it, it kind of adds to that a little bit more and adds to willis's performance especially towards the end of the movie yeah no i i, I agree yeah. um also very happy like again technically so if we're going in, in terms of our, our christmas movie lore right like Die Hard 1 is definitely a Christmas movie to my degree because it focuses a lot more on the Christmas. I was also appreciative, like, yes, they kind of just dab to do the Christmas Eve thing. And it, it kind of is weird that the movie ends with the same song, but they also don't really lean into it being around Christmas either, which is nice. Yeah, I, I think I think I thought I did think it was interesting that the second movie like was going on this like assumption that like this is the Die Hard thing. It's, like, it's Christmas which, Eve. Which, which would be kind of funny if, like, every Die Hard <laughs> did take place during Christmas. Yeah, it was just, like, everyone was on Christmas Eve. Yeah, that, and it was that just would like, be actually kind of funny. And then at one point, they're just like, we're not, we're not going anywhere for Christmas Eve anymore. Nothing's right. happening. Like, in his hometown or something. Like Also, immediately, one of the things before we get into more plot stuff, especially because this is a whole movie that takes place in an airport, it's so wild to see pre-9-11 airport stuff. Because it's it's literally just a bunch of people just milling around in the airport waiting for people to come out. And it's just like people smoking on planes and smoking in the airport and just walking around willy nilly. Like, it's just like, yeah, this is what airports were. We're just going to go to the airport and hang out and wait for these places to land. It's fine. Bruce Willis can Bruce Willis can just walk around anywhere in the airport because it's like, yeah, my wife's plane's landing. I'm just going to walk, do this thing. Let's go for a walk. Yeah. But, of course, he can't go for a drive because the movie begins with his car getting towed. Mm-hmm. After a very distinct, like, you get the 20th century fanfare and then literally, like, a super loud, die hard two coming at you, like, boom. Yeah. yeah. And, then immediate, <laughs> and, and then immediately, like, Bruce Willis is like, hey, no, man, that's my car. You can't yeah. do this on Christmas. I'm LBPD. And then, and then the cop's just like, hot shit. Gonna, gonna park a car at my airport. 
your ass is mine. I do like this introduction, though, because, like, he's a nice guy. Like, John McClay, like, you know, he's like, come on, man. Like, yeah. give me a break. And he doesn't, like, he clearly wants to curse him out, but he kind of doesn't. Right. And it, it just uses a bit before he, he is pushed, before he... Really right, and, and, and it's still laying into people, and it's still McLean, and again, it's still McLean from the end of Die Hard One, where he's like, yeah. True. "Yeah," well, because it's right. also like, because he's also the thing of where it's like, "Hey, like I'm, I'm LAPD, man." It's like, "Well, I, I, I hate LA." Like other cops, like I hate LA, and then McLean's like, "You know what? I'm not a big fan of it either, but I moved out there because my wife works there." And it's sort of that thing where it's like, "Oh, now he's actually actively working in this relationship, right?" Like the whole thing was that they separated. He was in New York. He was in LA. Now he's made the sacrifice. He's moved to LA to be with his kids, to be with his wife. And there's kind of like, yeah, there's there was still growth to the character, but he's kind of like that that good diehard John McClane that like you know saved all those people in Nakatomi, got together with his wife, and now he's like made that decision. Hey, I'm going to move out to LA. So good for him. Uh, and then his, you know because he's in they're in Washington D.C. because. I guess Holly's parents live there and they're going to visit Holly's parents for the holidays. The kids are already there. They're with the parents. And so John McClane is just waiting for his wife to land on this, on this plane. And that's basically why he's at the airport this time. Um, And uh, simultaneously to this, there's also, again, we get some plot exposition via the news uh, that there is a uh, major, uh, again, uh, Central American, South American general that's kind of being a, a uh, arrested for the big war on drugs and sort of a, a consequence of U.S. meddling in in South America and Central America, which, again, was was a whole big issue in the 80s. And again, kind of using real life stuff uh, as a lot of action movies did around that time. Uh, and so we kind of get the machinations of, OK, stuff's stuff's not going on here. Um, we do get this conversation again, funny eighties things where late early nineties things where it's like, he gets McLean gets a page on his, on his beeper and, uh, uh, or a beep on his page or however you want to say it. And then he on his page on his beeper or a beep on his pager. I've heard him. I heard I, as a kid, I always heard him as beepers and pagers, you know, that was like interchangeable in the Midwest at least. So, and his wife's on the old, uh, his wife's on the old, uh, sky phone, um, and like they're talking and then I, I like again, I like this thing where it's McLean where he's like he doesn't want to tell his wife that it's his mother in law's car that got towed. So he's like, How about you and me? We just like we rent a whole we rent a car tonight, we we go to a hotel, we leave the kids with grandma, we go get some champagne. And then he's like, She's like, you know what? I like that. He's like, All right, he's trying to get out of that getting yelled at for like getting his mom's car, mother in law's car towed, which is which is pretty funny. Uh, but what I also like about this opening thing we talked about him like we talked about a little bit him like he gets to be the cop i do like that like his his just his introduction into like what's happening going on it's just him being cop suspicious of people right like and and, like him like kind of slightly recognizing this guy who eventually we find out is like the main villain of course um colonel william scott where he knows because it's like oh i saw this guy with the with congress and the guy who got like sort of acts for this whole controversy like he eventually recognized it but there is this sort of thing where he's like you know what like i I, something's off here and he gets to be that kind of guy which is kind of really nice Mm -hmm. yeah i i think that i mean that's kind of like what i mean about just like the proactive nature of it and then it's it did stand out to me as like just not doing die hard again it stood out as like kind of like okay let's do something right we're we're, a little bit different yeah 
and it's very much like because it's like it's Willis's investigation that really starts stuff happening in terms of people knowledge as opposed to him, you know, the attack happening and then him reacting to it, which is kind of like, again, what you're saying. It's very much a proactive thing about it. So I also like the line when he's like, uh, um, you know, we're, we're essentially kind of, again, sort of first hints at like now he people know him. He was on TV because he like talks to the guy. It's like, I kind of know you from somewhere like you must have seen me on TV. It's like, yeah, I know that feeling. I like, I've been on TV too, you know, that sort of thing where it's just like, <laughs> kind of like that sort of thing. Um, but he's still kind of suspicious of everything. Uh, and eventually, you know, it, it leads to, uh, you know, it leads to McClane just getting his shit involved, right? Um, we kind of, again, kind of get to see these other guys take over this church that I guess is near the airport. There, there's just a whole bunch of the machinations of the plot getting set up here. of just like, hey, here are our villains, these kind of, terrorists but you know united states people that are like you know you know sympathetic towards this general had worked with them and are going to help free him that's eventually what the plot is uh and they're setting everything up and eventually mclean follows these two guys into uh the luggage and we get one of our first fight scenes here in the movie um which is a sizable amount we get some brutal stuff in this movie i do think it's hilarious that to them this is just a guy who's like hey like this is a restricted area. Here's my ID, even though it's far away. And they were just going to shoot him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. They, hey, they, they, no, nobody could know what they were doing here. These guys play for keeps. Yep. Yeah, because McLean ends up giving in a gunfight with these guys. And he eventually, like, basically, like, um, like he, like, gets one of their heads caught in, like, the, the like, luggage, like, thing. It's, yeah, it's yeah, pretty, yeah. pretty crazy. It's pretty, like... It is kind of brutal. And there is a lot of like brutal and like, you know, big action stuff that happens in this movie, uh, which is, is kind of, again, kind of trying to take it bigger in that sense. Right. Kind of um, especially because, again, you have, you know, again, we always talk about the diehard movies getting bigger. Right. And they're kind of in bigger spaces. And that's one of the things about the airport space. Right. Is that unlike Nakatomi, where you're kind of going between these kind of small floors and there's, that's kind of a big thing about the movie. This one is like these wider spaces and there's a lot more movement with the runways and with the giant airport and like the being built section and, and the luggage area. There's a lot more room for this stuff to kind of go down, which is again, a very interesting aspect of how uh, Rennie directs those sequences and kind of uses that space. For sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's kind of like, the joke, it's like you just kind of like die hard in something. Yeah. Yeah. It's oh, like for sure. Even people still use that to this day. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's like die hard, but in this. Right. Yeah. And it's an easy way for you to know, hey, it's die hard in the airport. Okay. So he's got to like be in just in the airport. Die hard in a bus. Right. Okay. Well, you know, they're in the bus. Speeds rocks, by the way. Um, always say that. I'm trying to think of like what, what else would be like really cool. Die hard in a, on the moon. That's my pitch. Yeah. <laughs> right. Die Hard in Space. Die Hard in Space was my you pitch. Go all the way up to space and then all the way down to hell. <laughs> that was my pitch, man. That would have been a great little. Uh, I could have at least made that uh, a comic, a comic miniseries. Yeah. Die Hard in Hell would be a great comic miniseries. Anyways, um, with the brutal murder of this dude. John McClane gets caught and he's like, I'm the good guy. Where is your badge? And then he, he looks for the badge, like probably on its way to Cleveland. Yeah. And they find, they find it though. He gets his badge back. He gets the proof. He gets to be a cop. Um, 
Do you we... think there may be too many, like, him being, like, having, a, like, a smart-ass quip? I don't know. It stood out to me more in this movie than I Well, I mean, but like I said, it's, like, part of, part, it was part of the plan because that was one of the things that uh, Willis added with his, like, ad-libs and stuff to that right, right. first movie. So now they're, like... Well, now that's the thing that people know him for. Uh, I feel like fits the character. I didn't really notice it too much. I, th- I did notice there were more because, again, I kind of knew like, hey, there's definitely going to be more here. But I-, I feel like that's sort of that sort of sarcasm is a big part of like what makes McLean, at least in Willis's eyes. I mean, yeah, you're probably right. I don't know. It's just like this time around, it just it just stood out yeah. more. But yeah, I mean, you know, not not really a big. Well, we also because this is also where we get another a lot of Willis sass when he's introduced to uh his uh one of his other enemies in this movie uh the 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 police captain carmine lorenzo uh who chews him out in his office and they get into a big old sparring match and again bruce willis gets the last laugh on this one um what's his line it's like they have this whole fight about like willis is like hey you know why are there so many people around and you, you got to like, you know, seal off the area and the dust for prints and everything like that. And then he's like, like, listen, man, it's like an airport. The, the, the Boy Scouts are coming in. We've got reporters everywhere. Like, I, I, you want me to close down an airport on Christmas Eve? Like, I can't do that. Like, they, they get in this whole conversation. And Willis is just calling him incompetent and stuff like that. And like, and, you know, no. And then like, because it's like also because uh, the captain's just like, oh, we just know. It was just some dudes trying to steal luggage. That's all it was. And it's like, Willis well, is like. Real, real quick, I want to go back to this part because, like, again, this is, like, why it's interesting seeing John McClane in this element because like, I guess, like, when you watch the first one, you just kind of get this sense, like, he's a loose cannon. He's a rogue. You Like, you know you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's like, he, he doesn't play by the rules. But, like, he is a good, he's, like, a good cop in the sense of, like, he's like, no, we got to, we got to cut off the crime scene. We got to do the job. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, he's not just like, he, we got to, we got to find these guys. Cause right, I do think that like, he was just like, like, we do got to do it by the book. <laughs> and, and I think, I think that is a big theme of like what McLean's character in this movie. And we'll get to like a major sequence of this later, but McLean is the guy who's like, he doesn't want to see people die. Like he literally wants to be like, I, we need to save people. If there's something going on here, it's only going to cause us more destruction and more lives lost. And like, if we could prevent it, that's the thing we need to do. Um, but like, cause there's the whole thing of just like, right. Yeah. So the whole thing, we need to get prints and everything. Everybody's walking around. Um, and you know, it's just like, I've seen the hot shot. I've seen you on TV, you, you, the Nakatomi thing, but you're not going to come into my office. You're not going to, you're not going to direct my cops around. And it is, it is funny that like, Again, it's just one of the things where it's just like, yeah, people just know him from that one thing, but that doesn't mean that, like, you know, he's always going to be, like, the right dude for this situation. Um, right, right, and I did I did like how they didn't belabor that point. Yeah. It was just, like, something about, uh, you know, about him. But it's, like, it's kind of, like, I guess that, that, that was kind of, like, in the last one, too, where John McClane's reputation always precedes him a little bit like yes it informs like how people right interact with him right and i think it's i think it is interesting right because it is sort of a similar thing where like the la police chief was like you know kind of also sort of like why do we believe this guy whatever you know he's a new york cop whatever but like even this one because there's more direct interaction with mclean and uh carmine captain carmine that like uh there is a little bit more of a you know you a bounce back and forth on this one 
because we get this last line here, which I like, like, well, because the, the other thing I was going to say, it's like Carmine believes it's like, oh, it's just punk stealing luggage. And like McLean's just like, dude, you know what that gun was? Like, that's a gun you can only get in Germany. That's like hollow enough that it's not going to set off your sensors, which is absurd in the first place. Like, I love that sort of a little bit. But then at the end, like he's like, you know, Carmine's kicking him out of his office. They're getting this big shouting match. McLean walks down. He turns around. He's like, you know, what sets off the metal detector first? Like the shit for bra- the shit in your brains or the lead in your ass. And it's just like <laughs> he walks out. And the guy's like, oh, dang it. Like that guy's an asshole. Um, so, yeah. And then we just get a little bit more of like McLean's like going to take the, the, the investigation. Again, this whole little sequence where he like goes to the car rental place and like takes like this, the paper and the stamps or the, 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 the ink and like goes to the dead body that they're wheeling out. And he's like, Hey man, like, uh, Oh, we need to get, we need forgot to get the prints. And the corner guys are like, no man, the coroner's office does that. Like, what are you talking about? Like, and McLean's like, no, oh, no, it's a new thing with the DEA and the FBI and the, and the ACP and the uh, FAA. Yeah. You know, it's all, it's all new rules. Uh, thanks guys. Got it. <laughs> and he works with the, he works with the nice, like like nice cute rental car lady who's kind of into him which is kind of also a funny little bit yeah that was good good. um and then uh he gets uh, his old pal uh old pal reginald vel johnson here at our uh uh sergeant powell which again this was a nice way to do this where it's like you're not gonna belabor him being in the movie because again this was another thing i forgot where it's like i remembered him being in the movie but i thought he was also on the plane for some reason un- unexplicably like i was like oh yeah no he's uh, not okay all right yeah, yeah he, no. he, he's not he's not in the plane he's like back in la and he's just helping this guy he's helping his buddy out and uh you know and i guess that's also technically it would be co-workers now because he's also on the lapd which is just kind of like a nice little that's like a mini series like a mini series i would like it's just like a little bit of like between die hard and die hard who just like john mcclain and al paul on the beat and like helping helping people out that'd be nice anyways i did like that we just got a little bit of this where paul helps him identify the fingerprints and I, their conversation again just the two buddies is like what's this like you're not pissing at anybody's pool are you mcclain is like yeah and i'm fresh out of chlorine <laughs> that's what i mean it was it just so it's a many of them <laughs> It's a like, it's a like, silly line, but like I like that. That's sort of the they like like Paul's like knows like oh man, if you're involved, something's got to be going down. You know what it was for me because that one is so specific. I'm like John, did you have that one in the chamber? Like, <laughs> it's like have you said this before? Yeah, he's he's he was waiting. He was waiting for that one to come up. Um, but eventually, like when we get to this point, right? The the fingerprints are run, and we turns out the guy had apparently been dead for two years and now he's dead now. So something's something, something's rotten in the state of Denmark here. And this is where we get the little bit too, where the fax girl, the, 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 the rental car girl is like, Hey, you know, uh, you want to get some drinks afterwards? Uh, and he's like, I'm just the facts. I'm married. And, and then she's like, okay, yeah, no, fair enough. Yeah. I, fair I, enough. I, I always love that trope when like somebody shoots their shot, especially a lady. And it's like, no, nah, thanks toots. And then she's like, Oh, like, they both share a little chuckle about it. Yeah, man. Like, Hey, like they, they, she thought that was her, that was her, that was her connection, man. And Hey, next, next time someone asks her for a fax, she's going to, she's going to get it. I, I guarantee it. Like uh, she's just like looking at this guy and it's like, Oh, like, I don't know. Like he had this chlorine joke and I don't know what the other guy on the other end of the line said, but clearly this guy quips. Yeah. That's, that. that, that's what, that's what I look for in my man. A guy, a guy who can, who, who can quip. I just want a guy who quips 
And modern, again, I don't have the context, but that sounded like a quip, and I'm yeah. into it. Just imagine that's on a Tinder profile or something where she's just yeah. like, like, I'm oh, mad, I'm looking for a guy who quips. Yeah, just looking for quips. <laughs> no, that's the new dating app, Quip. Like, you just... <laughs> You just say like what your best quip is, like um, whip at each other. Oh man, you know James Bond is all over that. Yeah, <laughs> he's a good, he's a good quip. Except Daniel Craig, he's like he, he kind of he doesn't match that much. No, no, no. Like yeah, I, would 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 Brosnan be the top? Like, because Brosnan's a good quipper. Yeah, he's a he's a good. Yeah, he he's Brosnan would be a top. Like I feel like, I mean, I feel like more would just get points docked because he's old. Like he, he just like yeah. he's quips. He, his quips are would be really good. But I feel like people would just like ignore him. I guess that's a good question. Who is the best quipper of the Jane of the Bonds? We talked about this a little bit back when when we this was actually Bondzilla doing Bond stuff. But like I always felt that um I felt that like I think like when Moore's at his peak, he can always give a good line, but he always gives a little too much like he can give a little too much oomph to a line sometimes. I think right, that's right. kind of puts him off. Um I think it may be. I think it may be Brosnan. I think Brosnan's the I best because I think Brosnan, it, it, the delivery is always the most fun and the coolest. Because I think even Connery had some really good quips because he could be a little dry about it sometimes. I think, right. I think Brosnan as a quipper was the best in terms of both giving it flavor but also retaining the coolness of it. I always thought that that's what Brosnan had a strength at. Yeah, like if you just think about that, uh, like. Uh, like if you just think about his first quip, which is the forgot the knock, that's an all time delivery of a line. Yeah. In, in that movie. So yeah, I would think Brosnan would be the top, would be a top uh, bond on the quip app yeah. uh, for sure. I agree. Hey, anyways. Um, so McLean gets up to the tower where there's already snowstorms happening. There's always, there's already like communication issues and like basically people like, Hey, we're going to, we're gonna get you guys down. Just another, another, another frontier. We've got a blizzard coming in. You know, all this stuff's going on. The chaos at the airport. McLean comes in with his report, and uh, you know, this is like the first time where it's like, you know, again, the captain's like, "What the hell are you doing here, McLean? Get out of here. This is not your business." But the air, you know, Trudeau is like, "What do you think's going on, McLean?" He's like, I, "I don't know. I just know something's wrong here. Something's wrong." And eventually, we do know something's wrong because. Um, Basically, uh, our friend, the colonel, uh, shuts off all the communication and shuts down all the 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 rail the tail uh, the runaway lights and their instruments down there. And eventually, we get to what their demands are. They're going to make sure all the other planes like circle around the air and are not safe to land on this busy Christmas night. Um, and uh, they're going to make sure that their their general buddy, you know, gets landed perfectly. And they get the different plane for him and they get to escape with him. And that's their demands. Otherwise, they're going to start, uh, you know, making sure these planes can't land. They're going to lose fuel and they're going to crash. And uh, it's also, I guess, do you think that these these terrorists, you know, were like fortunate enough that like it was really blizzardy too on this day? Or do you think that was just like, oh, we'll figure it out when we get there what the weather's like? Because I think that, I mean, obviously the blizzard helps with their plan that, that it's really hard for anybody to come down and see. But, uh, you know, well, I mean, I guess like and then that comes back down to pretty much like the biggest kind of bombshell of the movie. I mean, I think the whole idea is that, you know, they cut off all the communications. So, I mean, like you can land a plane that way, but it's like dangerous because like you're supposed to have. Yeah. All the instruments. Yeah. Very true. That kind of stuff. Very true. Uh, But they did luck out 
on it. That would have been interesting if they had kind of said that. Like, it's like, oh, it's a good thing that it's a fucking snowstorm. Yeah. And, uh, but maybe it's like, because this is like, I don't know, maybe they planned it out. Like, it's like, we'll plan it out this time of year. Well, they, they couldn't have planned it out then. So no, because. They had to have just lucked out. Yeah, they had to have lucked out. But. Wait, hold on. What kind of question is this? Of course they, <laughs> why are we talking about this? They clearly, no, there's no way they could have planned the like they had no, they no, they had a, they had a weather machine, the weather machine on the side, and that's, right. That, it's that, like unless they had a weather machine, unless the, the unless like unless they got was, like Flash and his rogues and Weather Wizard is like <laughs> fucking like a they got they 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 sold the Nader from Doctor Doofenshmirtz that like right. created the blizzard. Yeah, it's like what are you talking about? They this was the time that they 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 had to plan it around this thing. <laughs> yeah. Um. And so now that all that there's basically they they're in the control tower and the shit's completely just hit the fan now. We're like they get the demands. You only have two more minutes to talk to your flights, and then they basically have to go code red and basically tell all the flights that like any flights that can go to other airports, go to other airports. Anybody already on the outer marks, keep circling. We'll figure shit out. Like and then they got it. They got to get going, and then um, McLean gets kicked out alongside the the reporter. Uh, there's also, we should mention, so there's another kind of reporter character on the ground, this, like, female reporter, but she's kind of, like, a nicer reporter than than Dick is and the yeah. Richard Richard Thornburg is, like, because she's, like, trying to get the story. She's been frustrated. She's like trying to get that scoop, man. That's all she is. And, yeah, she, but she's kind of like a pebble in the shoe a little bit, but, you know, she's just trying to get the scoop. Right, and then she had the deal with, because uh, she saw uh, the, um William Sadler's character, uh, like William Stewart, in the airport, and she tried to get a, she tried to get a, a bit from him, and then he's like, "Any words, Colonel? I have two for you. Fuck and you." And walks away. I think McLean also uses that term to her at some point in the movie too, which is kind of funny. Um, and then this is again where we get to the like, it's Die Hard again because he gets in the elevator and like the the captain's like lobby security like hey there's two unauthorized people in the tower i've sent them on the elevator go and get them kicked out of here and they're like yes sir and then mclean knows it's like well i need to i need to do my own shit like if they're not gonna let me in on this i gotta get in on this so he like you know does the elevator trick again <laughs> and he's like you know he gets on the top of the elevator and, and to the ducks and whatever and she's like where are you going and it's like don't worry i've done this before <laughs> and just like walks out on her yeah. And then I did like that. That made me laugh. Yeah. And that's and then eventually right after that, it's like he's like another basement, another elevator shaft. <laughs> like, how's the same thing happen to the same guy twice? Um, so yeah, there's that. I should also mention like, like we do get cuts every once in a while to what's going on on Holly's plane. Um, where she's like again just chilling out. She's got this woman next to her that has this whole story about how she like like uh, this is a one of the weirder transitions to like whatever it's like this I, but i guess it's also requisite like of people on planes being weird and not wanting to talk to people on planes we're like this earlier in the movie when they're doing the discussion when holly calls for um john uh she wakes up the phone and the old woman next to her is like ain't technology great and holly's like ah oh, my husband doesn't seem to think so it's like yeah back in the day i used to just walk around with a regular old mace now I've got a taser yeah. and no one's ever going to mess with me. And then she's like, and then I tested it on my dog and my dog was like shell shocked for like three days. I'm like what the hell's wrong with you? But at least Holly has the requisite like, Oh yeah. All right. Nice. All right. Well, I'm, I'm sitting next to a crazy like, woman. Yeah, That's a, that's a weird thing to say, but you know, plant and pay off. 
plant and payoffs. Not as good as the plant payoffs. The first diehard is a master of plants and payoffs. That one is a little bit like, oh, we need to plant this. Let's just have a crazy old woman tell us a story. I think maybe by this point, we've also been told that, that the old asshole reporter Dick Thorndike is on the, Dick Thornburg, I should say, is on the plane. And they had the whole bit too, where like Holly's like, he sees Holly's like, no, no, I can't be within her. Cause he's like, I'm trying to get in first class. Cause I was told I could be in first class and everybody hates him because, which I did actually like that all the flight attendants are like, hate him because he's done all these like bad stories on airlines. And he's like, mm-hmm. what about your story? That, that story bimbos of the air, huh? And he's like, Oh, look, man. And then he like, sees Holly's like, listen, I can't be within 50 feet of her 50 yards. And he's like, he has a restraining order against me, which I, I also like that too. And everybody's like, oh, props to you, girl. You, you Props to you. <laughs> Want some champagne? There, that was a nice little way of like, yes, that may be the most ridiculous character to be. Because there's also not any explanation of why he's on that plane specifically. Yeah. Like why he's going to Dallas or uh, uh, Dulles, which is the airport, why he's going to Washington. But it is nice that they kind of get the like, oh, everybody gets the shit on him. And he gets to be more of just like a, a, a sleazeball, which is kind of, which is, which I like. Also, they got that whole, they, they got like almost there and they just noticed that they were sitting next to each other. Well, that's the, okay. That's the other part too, because I guess the whole bit is like, he keeps trying to go in first class and eventually gets sat in that seat. Right. But yeah. Okay, it, 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 it. But it is like kind of weird that like, they didn't even see each other like entering the plane or anything. Like, it's just like, I guess it's just like right before they were supposed to land. It's like, oh man, I can't be with her. Like, like, where has he been this whole flight? Has he just been sitting in first class and then they just noticed him now? Like, who knows? At that point, just, like, let him sit in first class. Yeah. Anyways. Or if he just keeps stealing seats in first class. He is a real asshole, though. No, no, he is. I mean, he wrote... I mean, did you, didn't you you read his piece, Bimbo's in the Air? <laughs> did you read it? Yeah. It was on TV, Well, He's a TV... Oh, he's right, a TV right. reporter, dude, right? Yeah. He, he's always... And I also, again, going to him because we're just talking about him right now, there is this, like, bit in the movie where they try to, like, like deepen, like, his view of the world where he's like, the people deserve to know. Like, and he tries to justify himself, like, why he goes to these lengths to make people feel uncomfortable. And then Holly's just like, but, I, but again, Holly gets to call it out on his bullshit. It's just like, yeah, you, like, you listen, dude, like, you put my kids in danger, like, and you had no reason to do that for the people. You had to do that everything for yourself. Like, and she calls him on that bullshit, but I like that they kind of give Thorndike a little bit more of like a delusion of like, no, I'm doing this for the world. I'm doing this for the people. And yes, I'm doing it for me too, but the people deserve to know the whole truth. Um, so yeah, but back to McLean. This is when we come across the janitor. Yeah. Who's our, uh, he's our, uh, you know, our kind of whimsical sidekick. Right. Uh, and his whole thing is he likes records and keeps referring to World War II um, and also has uh, maps of every section of the airport that McLean uses to build effect. Um, meanwhile, like our, our air control crew are trying to figure out like how, well, okay, so our, our terrorists have cut off all communications. These planes are not going to be able to communicate with us. They're going to keep circling and cycling and we got to get them down before the fuel gets down. How can we do it? There's like another... Uh, uh, terminal being built at the airport and the one dude is like hey there's a radio tower there we can kind of use the alternate radio tower uh, that dude that that engineer was 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 pretty cool I liked him engineer yeah. dude mm-hmm. yeah yeah and then, you know the movie does like a good kind of balancing act between like people who are addicted to McLean people who kind of like hear him out like it's like yeah. so, you know it, it does it does it 
I mean, you know, it, the more you go through it, it's not the movie is not bad. Like it's fine. It, yeah, it's a it's just, functional it, movie. It's just like it You're is. Right. It comes right after Die Hard, right? It comes right, right after, after Die Hard. And there's a lot of the good, solid stuff. There is just none of the Die Hard personality from the yeah. previous film. Right. Really all like, is. there's really nice little bits. Like, also, because then the captain sends his SWAT team out uh, with uh, the engineer. And when they're walking to the other terminal, it, like, the engineer's like, oh, this wasn't in my job description. And the SWAT guy's like, don't worry, we'll protect you. And then he's just like, but who's going to protect you? Like, even he knows that, like, there's probably more going on here than even I can imagine. Um, and McLean kind of gets over, you know, McLean again uses the maps from the janitor to be like, hey, they're heading to this terminal. This is, I heard him say Skywalk. Oh, we're going to the Skywalk thing. Um, and uh, spoiler alert, our, uh, our villain has planted a, much of his henchmen here. Uh, uh, to basically protect it because he he was one step ahead of them. He knew they would go in for this tower. It's all part of the plan, um, which we get a very, again, we get this is the one little Robert Patrick showcase in this movie, which you get a very little, I like that this just, again, you can kind of see why someone like Cameron would just look at this guy and see like, oh, he'd be a good Terminator uh, T-1000 <laughs> because like we had this little shot where like they're walking on like, you know, it's like one of the um, airport walkways that move and like they shut it off. Robert Patrick like shuts it off. And the SWAT guy's like, hey, what the hell? Like, what are you doing, asshole? Like, hey, listen to me. Like, like, uh, what do you think I am? And then you just have this zoom in on Robert Patrick who turns around with a gun. And he's like a sitting duck and just like <laughs> and shoots him right in the head. But it's like you can awesome. see how you can see how exactly how Cameron would use like a zoom like that on the T-1000 to like really get you invested in him. And like why Robert Patrick would be a good sort of like villain in that sense, um, which is which is fun to think about. But then we get the big. This big gunfight um, where, where McLean also shows up, which, I, again, this was also, again, like just the little fun bits of McLean where like McLean's in the air ducts, again, just walking around. And he's just like, when I'm right, I'm right. <laughs> like, he's just like, like I knew this was going to happen. These, these assholes are getting killed for no reason. Um, and then like the, you know, the, the engineer guys can, you know, he gets his arm shot and he's like trying to hide and all the SWAT guys are getting decimated. Like maybe they take one guy out, but they, they keep them decimated. Eventually Robert Patrick finds him and he gets a gun to his head. And then McLean like kicks out the air duct and it falls on Robert Patrick. And he's like, Oh, Oh, and he's like trying to get the air duct out of the way. And he's shooting him a great little bit and then yeah. mclean just basically like kills everybody and saves saves our saves barnes is the air controller's name and then uh they're they're kind of they kind of catch up and try to figure out like hey this is what's this is what's happening um and this is where i think we kind of alluded to it you talked about like the big bombshell of the movie this is where we get to one of the movie's most notable uh one of its two most notable sequences that two people do talk about this movie for is uh so um our villains are kind of talking to like the, the, the control base. And again, like their whole plan was like, yeah, they were supposed to come over there. We were supposed to kind of shoot everybody. We were supposed to blow up this radio tower, but we weren't supposed to get all our guys killed. And like, Hey, like, you know, John McClane is being a thorn in our side once again. So Stewart was like, okay, well, we're going to enact the next part of our plan to really show them we're serious. And Stewart basically tells them that like, listen, man, I'm going to, I'm going to crash this plane. And so he gets on the air control and acts as the uh, the air control and basically gives this plane, this British Airways, the wrong information about how to land. And they're going to they're going to basically crash. And this sequence, like, it's pretty harrowing because, like, you know, like you kind of are hoping that, like, there's some sort of place. But they kind of set up where they do a little thing where the captains are like, all right, everybody, we're finally ready to land. 
and everybody's on the plane cheering and you see like the little shot of the flight attendants walking down and there's the one flight attendant that goes to the woman is just like it's just like the british it's just like the british subway system like it's we're a little late but we're always going to get you to your destination and they're all being nice and kind to each other and you're like oh these people are doomed these people are doomed and it's kind of like <laughs> very sad but this is what i was talking about earlier you said it these people are doomed they're gonna well, die because like okay this is a major thing i did really forget like i forgot this because it is a level of playing for keeps that really die hard didn't do yeah you know what i mean like because like die hard did kill people like so it was like you know it was like that but this is like the villain just destroyed <laughs> And then they, they, they emphasize people and then they emphasize too. It's like, Oh, like we're, we have a plane of 150 passengers that are really excited to hear this. Like they kind of emphasize, like there's a lot of people on this plane and they kind of do they, the whole thing is just like, they tell them they're clear to land, but they give them the wrong, like sea level. So like the plane's not going to be able to like, you know, slow down in time. It's going to crash into like concrete and everything like that. And this is what I was talking about earlier. I'm like, McLean's whole bit is like, he's going to do whatever it takes to like do something so even him he's like oh shit they're gonna crash this plane and then barnes is like what are you what are you gonna do it's like whatever i can and he takes like he takes like paint cans and he like lights up a flame like he tried to tries to make like a beacon it's like don't land like don't land and he's like doing whatever he can but like he fails like the plane goes right over him he's like no pull up pull up and the plane explodes right over him like right next to him and it's a very interesting way of taking that character where it's just like, dude, like this is probably like one of the biggest failures he's ever going to face in his life. But even he like he knew in his heart of hearts, there was no way he was going to do anything. But like he was going to try his damn this a man by himself waving these flaming like towels and like like these paint like things over his head and being like, like, listen, man, like you got to see me. You got to you got to help me out. Like you got to you got to save these passengers. And all those people horrifically die in a huge plane crash. And he, ha and he has to watch. He tried it with everything he could, and he couldn't do a thing. It's true. It's so crazy. Which, again, by the way, um, one of the uh, best, you know, anytime you look up trivia on IMDb, um, especially for an action movie, you're always expecting, you know, kill count as one, one of those. It's a stalwart of IMDb trivia. And I always, I don't think I've noticed that. Actually. Oh, if you go to any action movie, it'll be like kill count 13 or whatever. And this one, it's oh, like, I've seen that for horror movies. Definitely. Okay, yeah. But yeah, you see I him for action thought. movies too, or you'll see him. About. I've seen him for bond movies. So this one definitely has like, this clearly has the highest kill count of any diehard movie. Yeah, Mostly a whole plane, a whole plane just exploded and everybody, no survivors on that one. Everybody died. But I, but again, I just like that the way that they that did take the McLean character. That's just like that's his goal, and now his goal is like it kind of shifts to like that could happen to Holly, and Holly's plane, and the rest of those planes, and he needs to figure out exactly how to get these people down out of the air to defeat these bad guys. Uh, but there's one other thing that McLean has to deal with now is the fact that the airport has called in the government. Uh, and this is where we get the government team uh, who also uh, is, is not on board with uh, McLean totally. Uh, they give him, you know, they give him the no civilians thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, it's McLean that kind of has to figure out, hey, we have to do all this on our own. Uh, again, which is just kind of, again, putting putting the uh, putting all the all the tools against McLean. Right. There are the people that help him out. Right. Like Barnes and and the, the, the janitor. But the, the people that can actually make him 
be helpful are the people that are kind of preventing him from doing his job in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cause again, you kind of, you kind of don't know exactly where these guys stand in terms of the uh, you know, in terms of McLean, you know, the captain is still very much on McLean's ass and get him out of here and everything of that nature. Eventually it kind of comes down to the fact that like McLean is still kind of doing his own investigations. Um, and like, they're trying to kind of get to, Hey, how can I get to this place? How can I get to everywhere? Eventually it, it just kind of comes down to, there's more kind of action sequences throughout the film. Eventually it comes down to the fact that they allow the plane to land, right? They allow the plane to, uh, they have to allow this plane to land with the general. They acquiesce to all the, um, the, uh, the, the demands that they kind of have the, the one runway. They turn the lights on, don't turn the lights off, all that sort of fun stuff. Uh, you know, and it's, it's just like, yeah, that the, the plane crash really told everybody like they, they have to have all this set up or more planes are going to go down. Uh, McLean basically makes his way through like the tunnels of the airport to like get to the runway where they're landing. Mm-hmm. And there, there's just, this is like, a, again, this whole little bit where like, it's just McLean by himself, like trying to like, he like general opens the plane. Cause also the general, he like, you kind of cut to him a couple times throughout the movie, but like he eventually, as they get closer, like he kills the pilot and he kills like his guard with his handcuffs and everything like that. And eventually it's like, yes, like he was part of this plan all along and he kind of planned it to help him escape with his sympathizers. But as soon as he opens the door, like McLean just shoots him and then he gets in a big gunfight on the plane. And eventually we get to the other very infamous section of this movie. Uh, the right, other, yeah. the other, the other part that people always I, uh, I did remember. remember this. This is the thing I remembered. Which is incredibly so McLean again is trying to attack this plane. He shoots the general. Um, he gets in this gunfight with everybody as um, Colonel Stewart and his crew are trying to pick this guy up. And they get in a gunfight and because essentially McLean gets trapped on the plane. Um, which again, I, this is another McLean crypt that I remember very distinctly watching the movie, which is when he gets into the general. Um, and he shoots him and, you know, the general, like, is, like, kind of shocked, like, what's the hell's going on? And McLean's just like, oh, didn't they, you're supposed to not stand up until you get to the gate. Oh, uh, no freaking flyer miles for you, buddy. <laughs> and this guy must be like, what, who the fuck are you? Who is, who is this guy? <laughs> he definitely doesn't know about the Nakatomi incident. Um, so anyway, yeah, but eventually McLean, like, the general gets off with Stewart and eventually they McLean gets stuck on the plane. They can't get out. They've like bolted the door down and like, they're shooting the, the cockpit. He's like, Oh, he's stuck in the cockpit. And eventually they plan to blow up the plane. And like, they're throwing like a, they're like shooting it. It's not working. They're going to throw a grenade. It's going to blow up the plane. And McLean straps himself into the pilot seat, (laughs) uses the ejector button, ejects himself up as the plane explodes and he's just like, oh, my God. Oh, shit. Blaine what a is... life I live. <laughs> <laughs> what a life I live. Yeah, it's, it, it is, it's, it's crazy. It, it's, it's funny. It's a, I... it's a fun little bit. It's a fun little bit of him getting out of that. And, again, that sort of John McClane just like, because that's, again, we see, like, McClane, like, kind of ahead of it knowing something going down. But we do get these little bits of, like, McClane in those moments where he's like, I just got to improvise. What's the one thing I can do here? I'm going to eject myself from this plane. You know, and it's funny because there is an argument to be said, like, this is kind of like the first steps into like how massive some of these movies can get. And then they kind of like do superheroize John McClane a little bit, but you know, there is a fine line between, you know, it's, it's not like he's, he's like, he's like, uh, it's like, 
he's ready to do all those things. It's just he just ends up in these like absurd circumstances where it's yeah. just like he's like, this is all I can figure out how to do, and I'm just going to like. Yeah, it, it, it feels more in line with like 80s action movie sort of absurdity as opposed to like a future Die Hard movie absurdity. Mm-hmm, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Um, there's also another line around here too where like when the, when, one of the times when the colonel is uh, uh, the, like the, uh, the colonel that's like with the military that's trying to hunt down um, mm-hmm. Stuart when, when he comes to McLean and he's like, you are the wrong man in the wrong place at the wrong time. And McLean's just like, story of my life like that that just just reminded me it's like what a life i live just reminded me of that um so eventually uh you know mclean survives again and gets back there and he talks with barnes and barnes realizes like oh because there's been other machinations like they've been able to make contact with the planes through the outside beacons and everything but they kind of realize like hey they've got to be around here because stewart got here very fast and they realized that like, hey, like there was some stuff that was taken underground when we expanded the airport for the first time, like earlier in the 80s. And oh, like it has to be along this road. And they kind of facially figure out that like, hey, let's let's sneak over and find uh, find a place to 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 go uh, what place that they could hide. Eventually, they find the church that they're hiding out in, which is another like uh, this is kind of a fun little bit of the plant and payoff. We're like it's around this time, too. So. Barnes figured out that like, hey, we can use like the outer beacons. They're not connected to that. We can give them the 411. But it's around this time, too, that Richard Thornburg has figured out like, hey, something's amiss here um, and goes to his buddy in first class like this. Like, hey, do you have all our equipment up here? And the guy's like, yeah, no, I would never touch let them touch that stuff, you know, in, in, in checked luggage. Mm-hmm. So they get the, the receiver and they basically find out like on the plane, like, hey, you know, the barns give them the whole thing and it's like hey we're gonna try to get you down but there's no guarantee do what you can to survive up until that point and holly is starting to get like kind of a little bit worried because she's kind of like hey what's going on like do we have enough fuel to land like people are starting to get a little antsy so she goes to the phone and call and beeps mclean and mclean's like about to attack this guy at the church and he's like no damn it like not now and he eventually gets found out that's a nice little plan of like just like a little plant and payoff of just like damn technology beeping yeah. me at the wrong time. Um, but they kind of get in this fight. Uh, you know, they, they call the police station and be like, Hey, this is where the guys are. Uh, the, the, the general, the, the American general is kind of like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to get this guy. They kind of have a nice little fight at the, uh, the church. We get the snowmobile chase, um, which is also a nice little fun little bit where like he's on the snowmobile and it's breaking up the ice and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, which again, gets to another absurd little point where like eventually like again, McLean gets like the drop and cause the other bit about this, which eventually gets to another big twist in the movie is McLean has one of the guns from like the military guys and he keeps shooting everybody, but like nothing's happening. And he, he was like, like, how am I missing this much? Like I'm, I'm John McLean. Like I can't miss this much. I'm, I'm a good shot. Eventually, like, because of that, they get the drop on him. And they have this whole bit where, like, the snowmobile with John McClane, like, jumps over a truck. And McClane, like, just jumps off. And then the snowmobile explodes, which is kind of, like, there. And then they think he's dead, of course, because he's John McClane. And then McClane quickly realizes that the bullets, they were blanks, Will. And that the, the military dudes were in on it the whole time. Oh, my God. No way. <laughs> yeah 
again, this is more like traditional like eighties action movie where it's like there yeah. was a guy on there was a guy on the inside the whole time. Yeah. Oh yeah. no. Yeah. Yeah. There is kind of like a cool a cooler thing. So it's like there's that scene when you know because um, all the men are are in on it, but there was like one rookie. Oh right, because because the the whole thing was like the one rookie was like he had to replace him because the the usual dude had appendicitis. Right. And had to get. And he's like, yeah, this, like, mission we did, that was good. He's like, man, I wish I could have been there for that. He's like, me too. He's like, really? Yeah, because then I wouldn't have to do this. And just slits his throat. <laughs> and all the other guys are just sitting there like, yeah, I guess we had to do that. It kind of yeah. does suck, but, like, they're all yeah. like, yeah, no, we had, we, had that, we had to get that done. And it's like, it's just like, and it is one of those things. I don't know what it is about because I guess, like, the other movies, and then even going into Die Hard with a Vengeance, like, those are such elaborate plans so I guess, like, it's not really out of the realm for a diehard movie to have kind of, like, this elaborate scheme. Maybe it's just because you're just not invested, really, No, in any of the bad guys. Right, because it's, it's a very – the thing about this, too, is it's, like, because at least, like, Die Hard 1, like, again, the whole fun bit about it is, like, they're, they're thieves for trying to be terrorists, you know, and they're, like, there's a twist to it. And even in, like, the next ones, right, like, you know, you have, like, you kind of go back to that, but there's, like, the whole thing where it's, like, oh, it's, like, it's a revenge plot. Kind of makes a lot more sense. This is where I'm saying, like, you could have made a movie, like, with this plot with with Schwarzenegger or Stallone. Like, it it, it feels like it's just not, like, that's one of the things that does make Die Hard such a unique and fun and crazy, interesting movie to watch is the fact that McTiernan had the right, bit mctiernan had the bit where like they're originally just terrorists and he was like nah because all these movies have terrorists in them what makes that unique okay let's make them thieves who are pretending to be this way and that's also anchored on the charismatic performance of alan rickman where it's like all all props in the world to william sadler trying to like make this work but it is just a bland like like his like motivations are like oh man like this guy knows how to fight the communists and it's like and why aren't we supporting him as an american as american country and it's just like ah i I could like anything about the bad guy for me just went in one ear and then out no no it's exactly what it is and i think that's where a lot of this stuff kind of falls to the wayside and why it also appears to be a lesser diehard and why like, because at least even, like, Die Hard 4 had, like, Timothy Oliphant, right? Like, Right, right, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, and we'll, we'll get to eventually, we'll get to Live Free. All right, sorry, that is Live Free. We'll get to a Good Day to Die Hard as well with the villains there. But at least, like, all these other Die Hard movies have, like, something interesting about the villains, whether it's a performance thing or whether it's, like, a history thing or whether it's, like, their, their true motivations. Like, this one, it is really feels like, again, it really just takes place from this book that they adapted it from the 58 minutes or whatever. And it really just feels like just dry in comparison to what is around it. And especially when you have like someone as charismatic as McLean going in on it. Um, you know, I think that's really, really the case is, is that that's where a big falter of this movie is. It's just like the villains aren't unique or interesting enough. So when they do shit, there's not, there's not much to it. There's not much to it. And, and, and Remy, Rennie tried by making him shirtless and watching TV at the beginning of the movie, but that's not enough. Not enough. Like, that's like the most interesting thing that that guy does in the entire film. That's true. So that is true. So McLean again survives. 
Um, and he eventually gets back to the police station and he's like, basically like kind of the accusations are like, Oh, like those, like, like, where's, where's the, where's the general? Where's the, like, Oh, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're getting to the plane, but those bastards are going to get them. They're in on it with them. And then like the captain's like, poor shit. Like, this is ridiculous. Like, why are you doing the losing McLean? And McLean pulls out the gun and starts shooting everybody. And I'm like, dude, that could have gone really badly for you. Like everybody, like the guy is like, Oh my God. All the other cops are pulling their guns out. And then it's like, look at you guy. They're blanks. And then realizing again, like, the captain finally oh, is on. No bullets. <laughs> he should have. He should have. He should have called back to that. <laughs> Anyways, finally, um, you know, NYPD blue guy uh, is like, "Fuck it, these guys have." McLean's actually right. These guys have gone it long enough. He gets something like, "I want all my cops ready to go in five minutes. We're finally gonna kick some ass here." And everybody's like, oh, "Let's go. Let's do it." But there is one other problem, though. One other problem. So. <laughs> Good old Dick Thornburg is like, this is what's going to get me to the network. And he calls in on the phone and he gets the recording and he's like, finally going to break the news. The FAA and the police and everybody have been very quiet in it, but he's going to break the news. Hey guys, terrorists have taken over the Washington DC airport. These planes are going to crash. And again, I just like, again, it's kind of ridiculous that he's here, but him being so sleazy, cynical over the top is just like these planes and these people, you know, or on their deathbed. Like he's basically like painting it as this, like the, the worst thing that ever happened. And of course it's broadcast throughout the entire airport. It's broadcast on the plane, which is also this funny thing where like, again, planes back in the day, like, their whole bit is just like, Oh, we're over Washington. So we can actually get TV signal now. So just, so just get the Washington TV signal and whatever's on the TV, they're just going to be able to be able to watch, which of course is originally the Simpsons. <laughs> um, and then it's this news broadcast and everybody in the airport starts panicking um, and uh, they start running away. And so this complicates McLean and, and, uh, and uh, the captain getting to the place. Cause they, they have this whole bit where they have to like get to, um, you know, they have to get to the runway before the, they escape on this plane that they provided for them. And then uh, on PD blue cop gets in the car and it's like, Hey, meet my brother. And it's the cop that gave him the ticket earlier. And the cop's like, how you doing? And it's just like this whole little bit. And it's just like, fine. But then eventually they crash into, again, they're like, oh, we're finally going to go kick some ass. The police car immediately crashes into a taxi that's also crashing because all these people are rushing out of the airport in a panic. And then the police are just like, what are you doing? You got to get out of the way. Get this out of here. Get this out of here. I don't know why I keep doing a New York accent for this, but I am. And then McLean's like, oh, fuck this. And he just runs over to the runway to like get these guys out. Uh, meanwhile, in the air, Holly's like, oh, shit. Like, stuff's going down we're gonna crash but also stuff's dying hard down there stuff's dying hard down here but also this asshole's in the in, in the bathroom causing a mass hysteria up here in the plane and so she takes the old woman's taser and basically tases thornburg again and he's just like yeah you are gonna die here dick <laughs> or whatever she says she says something about like yeah oh no because dick's like Oh man, and he starts getting emotional and like trying to win the Pulitzer, as he says. He's like, "If this is my last broadcast, I just want to say." And and then she tases him, and the, the phone's like, "Dick, we're live on the air. Where where are you?" And she's like, "Yeah, we let's hope that's your last broadcast, asshole." And walks out. <laughs> um, and then we get this last little action sequence, right? We get the kind of thing on the air. They're running out of fuel. Everybody knows they're running out of fuel. Um, and. They're eventually like, hey, we got to land this plane no matter what. So get ready to crash positions. 
Uh, McLean, the way he gets to the runway is that he calls upon that nice female reporter that's been kind of helping him a little bit throughout the way. And um, he's like, listen, man, I need to get to, I need to get you to, I need to get to that runway. And so eventually they take her uh, helicopter, uh, her news helicopter and try to get it. And I like that again, McLean's just like, dude, like get in front of the plane. Like we need to stop it. And the guy's like, no asshole. Like there's, there's, why would I do that? That's dangerous. I'm not going to do that. I'm not crazy. So eventually McLean convinces them, Hey, let me get on top of the plane. So they drop him on top of the plane. He basically like stops them from going off by like putting his like coat in like the little like air thing that like makes them go up. And the, and the general's like flying the plane. He's like, fuck, there's something wrong. It's McLean again. It's like, God damn it. McLean. John uh, McLean, you son of a bitch. <laughs> and we get another one here. Another quip. So eventually uh, the main, not the, not the, the U S general guy. Uh, gets out on the plane and he starts fighting McLean because there was a bit earlier where, um, you know, they were kind of becoming friendly when like McLean thought he's like, oh, like I, you know, McLean's like, oh, I thought I, I thought you were an asshole. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to trust you now. And then the guy was like, you know what, like I am an asshole. I'm just an asshole on your side. But he wasn't. So now no. they're now they're fighting Gosh. each other. Now they're fighting each other. And uh, and he's like gonna kill him. And like the guy's like the McLean's like. I was just starting to like you too, McLean. I, I can't believe I have to do this. And then McLean's quip when he kicks him off and puts him in the uh, um, like the turbine. The yeah. turbine. He syndromes him. Which, by the way, I mean, I get like, like you can't that that like destroys the turbine, right? Like in most like yeah. most likely, yes. Okay, okay. I I I thought so. Yeah. I mean, so it just stood out to me as like right. well, classic that, movie thing. That's, it's like, well, oh, it's just like a giant fan. So it's just going to sp- spaghetti him. I mean, listen, like those birds hit the plane that Sully was on and they right, had to the exactly. crash. That's kind of what I'm thinking about. <laughs> they had to crash land into the Hudson, right? Like a, a whole person going through that. You're not going to get up there. It's still, you know, it's still not really the two best, I think, version. Like what are the best? I mean, I guess the syndrome one is pretty good. Yeah, obviously, there's the the what's it called the um, Raiders one. That's the Raiders that's, one. But that's more of a propeller. That's not a turbine fall. Right, but it's still like it's still like a classic, right? Yeah. A yeah. Bond a Bond movie did it once, I yeah. think. There's a really good one in Captain America: First Avenger. There is that yes. guy who just eats shit in the in the in the fan. Like, yeah, the, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's kind of the fan death ver- and like the the general like yeah, like there's the stuff that's with like fans. Fan Right in with your favorite fan decks. Your your favorite turbine decks. Oh no, Game Night has a really funny one. Yes. Remember? Yes. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, no, yeah. He died. <laughs> <laughs> um but anyway, yeah, so he so he each he eats shit in the fan. Yeah. And then, but because no, because the quip, it's the fan. The, yeah, the quip, yeah, the yeah, because the quip is like he starts getting into the turbine and he's like, Yeah, man, I was just starting to like you too, McLean. And McLean's just like, I don't need any more friends, and just like kicks him off. All right, like that one wasn't even good. Yeah, that's that not was... a good quip. <laughs> Anyways, because honestly, like I mean, John McClane is like kind of like very dubious on friends. Yes, <laughs> but I guess he does kind of make friends. Like, oh, know, sorry, but... I thought I thought there was a reference to the fact that Bruce Willis would later be on Friends. No, like he had all those friends. <laughs> Those were his friends. Um, and he he was only on the show Friends because he lost a bet. Do you know that story? No, I don't. 
Oh, so, you know, he made that movie with uh, Matthew Perry called The Whole Nine Yards. Right. Yeah. I, okay. I and on the set, like, like Willis and Perry made a bet and Perry bet that like the movie would be a success. And Willis was like, ah, oh, no, I, I, I don't, I'm not feeling this one. So I was like, oh, if this movie is like number one at the box office, you have to guest star on Friends. And ah. they, and then the movie was like a very huge hit. So Willis had to do that arc on Friends uh, as, a, as a favorite of Perry. Hey, man, man of his word. Yeah, no. Uh, um, so anyway, yeah. So the bad, the other bad guy comes out, and then they fight. Yeah, and then and then, uh, and then uh, so basically, oh, and then John McClane the entire time he and then what he's trying to do is like he's trying to unload like the fuel, like and that, that's like what he's trying to do. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so he he basically like sees that the fuel tank is there. He like unhooks the fuel, and again, it's this whole little bit, which I, I I guess is kind of fun for an action movie where like, you know, they have this fight, and like again, like <laughs> Stewart's just doing like Taekwondo and like karate, which just again is very sort of inexplicable. But he does kick McLean off the plane, and it's like thinks he's won. He's like, yeah, like normally in these movies, like you'd, you'd have the direct like sort of like death, but I guess McLean already got his little quip with the with the with the American general. So, um, so he kicks McLean off the plane and he's like, he takes the jacket out of like the, the, the wing. And he's like, finally, we can get out of here. He gets back in the plane. Everybody's sort of excited. The general is kind of like, okay, cool. I'm going to take off. We're going to go to the Bahamas. Everybody's like, yeah, like we, 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 we hate snow. Snow's the worst. I have enough snow in a lifetime. They're all joking about snow. And then McLean is like off the plane. He gets his little cigarette lighter. There's a little trail of the of, of all the now, fuel. I, I have to say, before you say this, I completely forgot what was going to happen. So yes. I was just going to be like, oh, okay, like they can't leave. Like they're going to run out of fuel. Yeah. And that's like what the end of the movie is going to be. And then I, I did not remember, which is maybe one of the most badass things in the movie. It is right. really cool. <laughs> yeah. So McLean takes out his lighter and he gives us the line. Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. Which is, I, like I said, like, it's really weird that that becomes the catchphrase because it was a one-thing context from the first movie. But it really works here as the badass, like, I've got you, fucker. I feel like this is this is when it, it becomes, like, in, in, the, in the canon, in the reality of the movie, this is when John McClane's like, okay, this is my thing now. Like, yeah. <laughs> he just, like, because he's, like, thinking about, like, Man, this is just like that time on Nakatomi. This is just really crazy. I just want to go home. Like, but you know, I'm gonna fucking kill this guy. What did I say? Yippee Kaye motherfucker. And then like he's like, and then after that, he's gonna go home. He's like, you know what? I think that may be my thing now. Yeah, he's gonna he's talking to Holly. And then I said that that line I said, the Gruber. Which line? Yeah, the, the Yippee Kaye one. The one with the yeah, that one. Oh, maybe maybe that could be my thing now. Yeah. That's that's where they break up again um anyway so what happens is that he takes out the cigarette lighter he says yippee motherfucker he he lights up the gas trail the gas trail follows the plane and the cool bit is like it's not even like the plane starts taking off and the flame trail follows it up and just causes the plane to absolutely explode that 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 was dope that's really cool yeah just the trail of fire behind is just Mm -hmm. awesome yeah and then uh so then, and that causes another chain reaction where the Holly's plane has had to start going down. And there's this whole bit too, where like, you know, she's kind of praying. They're all like, we have to assume crash positions. We have to make an emergency landing. Everybody knows what's going on at this point. Cause they're all watching the Simpsons, which turned into the news. And 
and then uh, there's this little bit too where like the the last time we see like Thornburg in the movie well not the last time but like one of the last times he's like he's basically coming to terms with his death and he's just like I'm sorry and he's crying and he's just like maybe this was his fault that they had to like land like this mm-hmm. and like the the, the 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 people are still like get in your seat get your seatbelt on and everybody's realizing like this could be the end but the, the, the fact that he lit up the runway with the flames they're like oh my god we can see the runway now and they all get down and they all land and they all land perfectly. It's like any landing that we get out of here is a good landing. Good job, everybody. And everybody gets to survive. And there's a little bit of radio chatter too, where they're like, you hear someone's like, oh, look, the runway's on fire. If they can land like that, so can we. And all the plans to start going behind him, which again is like, again, funny in the sense of like, now when you think about how planes land, it's just like, Oh, there's so have to be spaced out. So there's no issues. You just see like these planes coming one after the other, which is, which is really funny to me, which I guess now thinking about it, you know, what's just funny is like, this is technically Die Hard 2, like really comes into the history of airplane movies, not just the movie airplane, but all the movies that airplane was parodying. Like that's, this, this was essentially like, an That's airplane true. this could have been like airplane 88 or 89 like this could have been like one of the airport 89 this could have just been like a reboot of airport which again kind of gets into why it's not just doesn't feel like a diehard movie sometimes uh, you're you're not you're not wrong um so then we get to the end of the movie the plane lands everybody's happy bruce uh is once again covered in blood just screaming for holly holly and then finally holly gets out of the plane Richard Thornburg is on the ground and nobody will help him up because he's an asshole. Holly, Holly and Bruce Willis reunite together. And they're like, why does this keep happening to us? This line was funny though, where she's like, Oh, I heard there were terrorists. There were, there were terrorists at the airport. And Bruce was like, uh, McLean's like, I heard that too, honey. Like, he's just like, yeah, I heard, I heard about that. Um, And then we get the nice little moment where we like, Hey, like, you know, Richard Thornburg, he's like an asshole, but this other lady reporter, she was really nice because they start filming them. They start filming him uh, with his wife and reuniting. And it's like, oh, isn't that nice? And she like tells him like she she puts her hands up to the camera and she's like, yeah, isn't that nice? We're not going to exploit it. Which also, again, keeps in mind when uh, John McClane asked her to like help her, you know, get a ride to like the part uh, of the airport. And there's, again, a whole line where she's like, if you help me get the story, I'll have your baby. And McLean's like, that's not the type of ride I'm looking for. Like everybody, just, everybody, all these ladies just want to like bang McLean here. Like he's, he's a real hot stuff. Hey man, it's the clips. It's the, the, like, again, that probably endeared him to her more. Is that he quipped that out afterwards. Yeah, like, exactly. Uh, but eventually Marvin, the weird world war two loving janitor comes up in his cart and he's like, I'm not cleaning this shit up. <laughs> And then they ride off into the sunset with it's the... It's just the way that you're describing it. It just sounds so like everybody's just like, oh, oh like just another day in the life of Die Hard. <laughs> it really is. McLean saves the day. They ride off once again. Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow, plays credits. Right. Yeah, yeah not a bad movie. Not a bad no, movie. I'm I, 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 I kind of done talking about it, though. <laughs> oh, my God, I'm no, no, no. I mean, there's not much. I mean, we've said what we can. There's not much to say. It's a pretty decent action movie that just because it comes after Die Hard. Yeah. It, it's just like, but but it's, it's funny because the one thing I'll say before I get to the aftermath is like, because it's attached to Die Hard, 
it, it lessens the movie. It just does. Sure. But also because it's attached to Die Hard, it keeps the movie alive. Because if this were a regular other 80s action movie, it'd probably be one of those ones where you're just like, oh, yeah, no, then, then they made this other one. You know, like I said, this was just like another one that like Schwarzenegger had made or Stallone had made. It'd be like, oh, yeah, and then they made this one where he's at the airport. If it, if it didn't have the diehard name. But now that it's a diehard name, it has a couple of scenes people remember and people remember John McClane and it's a part of the franchise. So it kind of exists in that kind of weird realm because, again, we'll get to the next one. The next one kind of really eclipses this one because right. yeah, one yeah, thing, yeah. the one thing I will say is we get to the aftermath. This movie does release July 4th weekend, 1990 and is a major success box office wise. It doubles the money that Die Hard 1 made and really launches... Uh, it really confirms that Bruce Willis is a stratospheric action star. Um, but this movie was well-reviewed when it came out. Like, again, if we're using that kind of Rotten Tomatoes meter, uh, 69%, which is nice. Um, and it basically, like, the consensus was, yeah, it's not as good as Die Hard 1, but it's still very entertaining, and, and it's still fun to watch Bruce Willis. And really, like, the legacy of this movie has sort of been, like, it's sort of the forgotten child of the Die Hard franchise, just because again, what what ends up being with Die Hard three and that whole um, what people view on that movie, and even like the later two Die Hards, even you know if they have their their mixed feelings on them, like they are sort of even bigger and crazier and kind of get into the realm of sort of the the bigger Die Hard that we will get into. But people have that memory of those movies, especially because that's like you know the bald was bald bald Bruce Willis era. Mm -hmm. So the fact that Die Hard 2 just kind of exists, it's propped up because it's a Die Hard movie and is a part of this franchise, but also becomes forgettable because it's a part of the Die Hard franchise. It's kind of an oxymoron in that sense. Listen, I think you said it better than I can. I don't know if I have anything else to say because that was very eloquently and smartly put. Um, All I can say is fine movie. It's okay. Um, Not the worst one. I'm going to be interested to see where it ends up in the rankings. And yeah. uh, Bruce Willis uh, is king in, in it. So yeah. It's, yeah. yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty good. Bruce Willis is not the rest of the movie. Uh, it's, it's, it's fine. It's good. All right. So that wraps it about Die Hard 2. Really nothing else to say. Um, we have uh, another Die Hard movie next time when we talk about Die Hard. Uh, a movie with a very interesting production history. That one I'm very, I'm going to be very interested to talk to you about in terms of like how we get to the third Die Hard movie, uh, which is again a very different beast than these first two. It's going to be Die Hard with a Vengeance. Um, I love this movie. I'm out. very excited to. Re- I, re- I really like it a lot. I'm excited to revisit it. I'm very excited to revisit it. I'm excited to talk to you about it. But next time we get on the mic, one of my favorite Sam Jacksons. Definitely. Yeah. And it's still pretty early career Sam Jackson, too, which is fun to see. Right. It's still like right off of Pulp Fiction, Sam Jackson, which uh, which we, we, we will talk about. That's a big part of that movie uh, and, and that movie's production. Uh, but the next time we hop on the mics, it's not going to be uh, going back to the Die Hard franchise. We're going to be returning to Planet of the Apes. Uh, last time we got to the Planet of the Apes, the planet exploded. Uh, so where do we go from the vastness of planet? <laughs> dies uh and where do we go from here well we will feature uh the escape from the planet of the apes uh the return of roddy mcdowell and uh sort of the the true future of the planet of the apes franchise is set with this next movie which i'm going to be very interested to uh, also watch for the first time and discuss
Cool. And until then, again, we'll get on the mics when we can. We appreciate your patience with us at each and every episode. You can always reach out to us at twitter.com slash bonzilla 007, gmail.com slash bonzilla 007. Like and subscribe on our iTunes and SoundCloud. Uh, I know we've had a lot of feedback on our Planet of the Apes stuff. Um, people are very excited. People really responded well to the Beneath the Planet of the Apes episode. So we thank you for uh, continuing to support us. And uh, we hope that these, uh, these films are still interesting to discuss because I'm having a whale of a time. Wow. Looking forward to it myself. All right. Well, that's it. Um, I'll probably go and watch She-Hulk again because that's, <laughs> that's been my new obsession. Um, we, we probably won't be discussing She-Hulk much on this podcast, but uh, if I ever start a new Nick, what's Nick collecting this week podcast, it's this week's episode would have been about She-Hulk. Yeah. Like anyway, what's, what's on what's on the shelf this week? That would be like the name of the podcast. What's on yeah. the shelf? What's on the shelf this week? Yeah. Yep. I just bought some She-Hulk stuff and I'm probably going to buy more wrestling stuff soon because that's the kind of nerd that I am. Speaking of stuff that's now on the shelf, because this is a Bonzilla podcast, like I finally came, came in the mail, the uh, SH Figure Arts uh, Jet Jaguar from Singular Point. Oh, yes. So, uh, yes, you, you, uh, yeah, you should share that, share that on the socials. Let the people know that we still care about Bond and Godzilla yeah. on this podcast. From that, from that, you know, from that Godzilla show that I fully have watched. Hey, spoiler alert, Will, they want the next Bond to be in their 30s so we could be Bond. That's true. That's true. I've always said that about myself. Like, I'm just like a dead ringer for it. Right. Well, we, we can't get, if people can't get Idris Elba as Bond, they might as well get William Ford Conway there. Might as well. I mean, you're not going to find anybody better. Yeah. Before we go, this is the last thing. When people, like, there was all the stories about that coming out and people were like, oh, but it gets rid of all the fan favorites, like Idris Elba and like Tom Hardy. I'm like, duh, that was yeah. never going to happen in the first place. Like, yeah, why not, would you think that? It, it, it's like, stop. It's like, it's not happening. It's not happening. All I, no. want is Pal- I, I just want Paloma back. That's all I care about. It could be whatever. Just bring Anna de Armas back. Yeah. I mean, if you want to see Idris Elba fight something, go watch that beast movie he's in. Where he punches a lion. Yeah. Not with his daughter, though. Not no. with his daughter. No. All right. This isn't a movie news podcast. <laughs> we used to do that once upon a time. Not now. Uh, we'll, right. see you ne- we'll see you next time, everybody. Bye, guys. I got a life for you! I got enough friends!